Well, it is so good to be with you today. You might be here in the sanctuary. You might be out in the hub. You might be in the wiggle room. Maybe you're helping out in the nursery. Maybe you're watching through church online, but you are here gathered with us this morning, and we just want to say thank you for being part of this church family here today. And I want you to picture with me today as we continue this series on the heart of worship, I want you to picture 78,000 screaming fans in Lambeau Field. I want you to picture fireworks. I want you to picture the light show and the smoke from the fireworks, and the music, and the video that's all taking place in this spectacular pregame show. And it all went downhill from there. <laughs> oh, ooh, that hurt. That hurt. Believe it or not, believe it or not, in that moment, in that, that, the video that you just saw, there is actually scriptures that we, that's, this is all we could compare it to. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6. Here's what John saw in his vision. He said, I heard what sounded like a great multitude. In chapter 7, he refers to it as being a number that is so great that no one could count it. That's how big this sea of people is. And he said that there was like the roar of a rush of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting. So it wasn't really thunder, it was actually their voices. And they were shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Now this morning we, we sang some songs with some lyrics, but friends, I want you to get used to this because in heaven, this is the song that we're going to sing. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. The whole earth is full of his glory. Those are going to be the lyrics of heaven. The Bible says that there'll be people from every tribe and tongue. They will be saying hallelujah. You know what that word means? It means praise the Lord. That's, that's exactly what it means. Hallelujah is not an English word, but we use it so often that we literally, we don't even think of what it really means. We just say the word. But for someone who doesn't understand, it means Praise the Lord. We are adoring in our exclamation of God. You know, we have songs here on earth that, that really have a big impact on us. If you, if you talk to a family that is going to be remembering the life of their loved one and they're not a family that has been in church over their lives and you ask them, is there a song maybe that you would like to have done at the service? Inevitably, the, the most popular song that they will select is Amazing Grace. And that verse that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, 
We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And we hear those words and our spirits are elevated and we feel this sense of worship that takes place and it evokes a heart connection between us and God, between us and heaven. We feel this sense of connection. And today I want to talk about that connection between worship and gratitude. And I want to say this. If you're not grateful, you can't worship. That might sound like I'm being harsh. But the truth of the matter is, if I can't be grateful, I'll never be able to. To worship. Psalm 69 and verse 30 says, the psalmist writes, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. I want to make this connection between worship and gratitude. I want to just mention four different things. The first one is this. Gratitude is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Psychologists tell us that there are three categories of gratitude. The first one is called dispositional. And what that really means is just it's our overall tendency. Some people just are grateful. They, they will, you, could, you, can, you can criticize them and they'll say thank you. They just, they just see in everything that there's something good that's going to be in it, and that's just their disposition. They're just, they're just grateful for everything. Then there's the mood of gratitude, which fluctuates from hour to hour and day to day, and it's just, it's just something that, that it's just our, how we kind of, you know, just what, what's my mood for this particular moment, this particular day. And the third Type of gratitude is a temporary gratitude that's based on receiving something good. We, we would call it a gift. When we, when we receive a gift, we, there's just a, a gratitude that wells up inside of us. In Psalm 100, the psalmist writes this beginning in verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough define gratitude as a two-step process. And if you walk away with nothing else today, I want you to remember this two-step process. Because it is so uh, relatable to our spiritual lives. Step one is to recognize that we have obtained a positive outcome. We need to recognize that we've obtained a positive outcome. Number two is to recognize that it's an external source for this positive outcome. We have to recognize that source, that that source is not us. It comes from someplace other than ourselves. Those are the two steps that we need in order to have gratitude. Now, I said that gratitude is not a feeling. Feelings are a response to an emotion. And that response is subjective 
to our experiences. We interpret feelings in our lives through those experiences. But feelings don't require an objective. They don't require a source. They are just that. They are feelings. They are yours. They are genuine. They are feelings, but that is what they are. And gratitude is not a feeling. I read an article in churchleaders.com this week, and the author of that article said that worship is a decision that we make. And the Bible tells us, friends, many, many times that we need to worship. But it never tells us to worship based on our feelings. Worship is not a depiction of our feelings. It is actually a defiant declaration of our faith despite how we may feel in any given moment. And we are going to be up and we are going to be down. And if we're going to worship, if it's connected to our feelings, then we can only worship while we're up and we'll never worship while we're down. But worship is not connected to our feelings. Worship is that declaration of faith, even though we may not feel like it. In fact, let me say this. At times... Our worship will be 180 degrees in opposition to our feelings. Did you get that? Sometimes our worship will be 180 degrees different than our feelings. And and for some, they might look at that and say, that is the most hypocritical thought I, I could imagine because I'm somehow being disingenuous. But what we are really saying is that my worship is not a feeling. My worship is based on gratitude for who God is. And it's not a feeling. I'm gonna recognize the positive outcome that I have because of God, and I'm recognizing that God alone is the external source of that outcome. Amen? Number two, gratitude always has an object. Psalm 95, starting with verse 1, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. In case you're, you're just starting to feel a theme here from the book of Psalms, okay? You want to you wanna learn to worship, read the book of Psalms. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Come, let us bow down in worship, verse 6. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In Luke chapter 17, we read that Jesus met 10 guys on the road. And these guys all had something in common. They had a disease that was called leprosy. Leprosy was an infectious skin disease. And you would have to meet 
before the priest. You'd have to, you'd have to come before the priest, and he would have to look at your skin disease and determine whether or not you could be considered clean or unclean in public. How many of you are really glad that we are not in the Old Testament anymore because I really don't have any desire to look at y'all's skin issues? If the priest determined that you were unclean, you were forced to live outside the city. Your clothes that you wore, you would have to tear them. You could not just, I mean, I, I, I went to the closet last night and I pulled out my shirt and I ironed it and I made, you know, I, I want to look a certain way. But if you, had, uh, if you had this disease leprosy, you would have to tear your outer garment so people could see it. In fact, what would we want to, we would want to hide. You, you were not allowed to put a hood up. Because you had to be visible to those that were around you. If you had a beard, my beard's starting to get long enough where I could do that. You, have, you would have to actually mess up your beard. Sorry, don't want to do that, okay? I combed my beard this morning, all right? I put product in my beard this morning because I want it all to go in the same direction. Couldn't do it. You had to actually mess it up. People that were that were le- that had leprosy. It was a disease that progressively got worse. And and when you would walk in in, in in where anybody else was around, you would have to yell at them before they got to you, and you would have to say, "Unclean." Boy, that's edifying. How awful is that? This disease causes nerve damage uh, in your extremities and, and you wouldn't have any feeling and so you would bump them or you would pick up something that's hot and, and what happened is in time, your extremity, you would lose fingers. People with leprosy lose the end of their noses. They lose toes uh, because often in their, the, the part of the world that they live, they, 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 have, uh, they have infestation of things like rats and they can't tell when they're chewing on their toes at night. It is a terrible disease. And a leper lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his career. He lost his possessions. He lost his friends. He lost his dignity. And he was forced to live outside the rest of the community. It was a horrific disease. And he met Jesus, met these 10 guys from a distance, and they begged him for mercy. They begged him. They had heard about this Jesus and the healing that he had brought about in others. Verses 15 and 16 of Luke 17. It says, because Jesus, now they they begged him for mercy. He said, go show yourself to the priest. They went to show themselves to the priest and they realized on the way that they were healed. But they had to still go to the priest anyway so they could be declared clean. And here's verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Here's what Jesus asked in that situation. He said, hey, guys, he turns to his disciples. Somebody refresh my memory. Wasn't there 10 people that I healed? 
Didn't 10 guys beg me for mercy? And I told them that they should go to the priest because they're going to be healed. And there's only one guy that has actually returned. Now, I am positive that the nine were grateful. Okay? It's that temporary moment because I've received a gift. I was thinking about this week, the young man that plays football for Buffalo that that had a freak accident on the field. He's hit, and, and somehow, some reason, some, his heart stops on the field. And immediately, the medical people are there, and they start CPR. And they are able to resuscitate him. I believe that they used an AED to start his heart. And he is alive today. And, and yesterday, he met with his team. And they are overwhelmed and rejoicing at this gift. When we receive a gift... Like these lepers, we can be thankful. We can, man, I'm, I'm grateful. But sometimes it's a temporary thing. And, and I know because it's impossible to live in the moment all the time. Even when you're the one that was the recipient of CPR. You're the one that was the recipient of the AED. And it's impossible to live in the moment Number three, gratitude is always directed toward the giver. We're going to go on to Luke 18, starting at verse 10. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think the Pharisee's gratitude was focused? As he approached God, where was his, where was his gratitude worship, uh, uh, directed? Where was his worship directed? I'll tell you this. He was pleased with his own efforts. He was really grateful that he was able to be better than other people. He was grateful that his effort was able to put him in a position of worthiness before God in his mind. The tax collector, on the other hand, he knew that he had nothing to offer to God. The Pharisee is trying to impress God. Now, here's the question. Where do we see ourselves in our relationship with God and in our worship? Do we see ourselves as, as through our own effort being able to be worthy? Or do we see ourselves like the tax collector that says, I have nothing. I have done nothing. I've accomplished nothing. So God... What I am going to receive for you is completely undeserved. You see, both men were there to worship. 
They were both at the temple to worship. How different their perspectives were. One felt he was doing God a favor because he was so good. And the other knew that he was nothing before God. He expresses his grief, his disappointment. He realizes he's not good enough. He asks God for mercy. Mercy is when we're asking for what we don't deserve, or rather that we don't get what we deserve. He knew he deserved judgment, and he was asking for God's mercy. Let me ask you this. I want to illustrate this point. What what do you do when your Wi-Fi goes out at home? Besides swear, let's not include swearing. Okay, freak out, John says. What do you do when your Wi-Fi goes out at home? Now, okay, I, okay, uh, my, when, my notes, I send my notes to Pastor Ben, and Pastor Ben corrected me. He said, no, what you do, the first thing you do is you call your kid, okay? <laughs> Touche. Touche. But what inevitably happens in our family, in our home, is my wife is, is so smart, so she is the one that calls, okay? She makes the call. And she calls the, the, the provider, right? And inevitably, it's a half an hour. It's, you're on the phone for at least a half an hour, and you're on hold for 28 and a half minutes of that half hour, okay? And, and you, they finally come on the, on the phone, and you're like... I have unplugged it. I have restarted it. I have made sure that all the connections are there. And you go through this long idiot list, okay? And you've done all of that. And then they get to the point where they finally tell you, well, oh yeah, we've got an outage in your neighborhood or whatever. And, And you tell them, listen, I pay for this service and it is your responsibility to get this up and running because I am in the middle of binge watching my favorite show and now I can't get it. But how would that conversation be different if you were six months behind on your bill? Would you even call them? My guess is no, because if you're six months behind on your bill, you're worried that they're going to say, oh, thanks for letting us know that there's an outage. And by the way, our records show that you haven't even paid for this service, which you've chewed me out for not receiving for the past six months. How would you like to settle that up? I'll take your credit card number. What would you like to do? Our response is totally different. When we feel like something is owed to us versus that we have done nothing to deserve it, our, the way that we respond, completely different. So how do we see ourselves before God? Do we see ourselves as having paid our bill just like uh, the Pharisee did by thinking, I am better than these guys? We've paid our own bill. Or do we see ourselves like the tax guy And we realize we could never pay our own bill. Number four, thanksgiving, gratitude, it's not generated from an external source. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, here's what Jesus said. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts 
are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He says that they speak it, they worship me, they verbally do it. It's external, but inside their hearts are not actually engaged in worship. And I, I just want to remind you of, a, of a, a story in Scripture from Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, uh, I, I'll, I'll spare you all the details, but they have found themselves now. They are in prison, okay? They're in prison. They've been beaten. They've been flogged. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and, all, and, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So the question is this. What would possess someone, what would possess Paul and Silas to do such a thing? Why would they sing in the middle of the night... In that situation, is this some sort of warped requirement that Christianity has? That while you are being persecuted, that you are required to worship? Even after the earthquake that, that basically opened the doors and threw off all of their chains, they didn't go anywhere. They didn't leave. In fact, they led the jailer and his family to faith in Jesus Christ. How is this even possible it's possible because their worship did not come from their external circumstances. Their worship did not come from how good things were going. Their worship came from inside. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably and with reverence and awe. Paul and Silas, they were thankful for the chance to suffer for God. That word there, to be thankful, it means let us be filled with gratitude. Worship from Paul and Silas, it came from a heart of gratitude. In just a couple minutes, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. In fact, those of you that are going to serve, just come on through and begin to pass those elements out. You don't have to be a member of Silver Creek Church to participate. If you have children, parents, that's up to you how you want to handle that. But I, I assume that it's very possible that someone listening to me, whether it's here in the sanctuary or different parts of the building or through church online, as you listen to me, you have a question. And your question is this. I don't even know if I have ever worshipped God. I don't know if I, I know what it is. I, how, how can I begin to worship God in my life? I've never done that before. And let me quickly just share this with you. The first thing that you need to do in order to worship God is establish a relationship with him. You see, you can't worship a God that you don't have a relationship with. Worship happens within the context of relationship. So the first thing that you need to do is say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. The second thing that you need to do in order to worship is to willfully submit 
to God. You see, it's impossible to worship God if you are in rebellion against him. So you must submit yourself to him. Thirdly is you must confess your sin and be cleansed. You see, the priest would always sacrifice for his own sin first before offering sacrifices to others for their worship. If we want to worship, we need to be clean before him. We need to confess our sin. And I'm so glad that the Bible says that he's faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we hold our communion elements in our hands. We hold the bread, we hold the cup, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And here's what we're going to do. Remember when I said if there's anything that I wanted you to remember, it was that you would recognize the positive outcome. And we're all thinking about the here and now. All the wonderful things that God has done for me. But in reality, that positive outcome is that because of God, our sins, if we've prayed that prayer, have been forgiven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And eternity is ours with God. That's the positive outcome. And then to recognize that that positive outcome has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. It is solely because God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. And guess what this is? The body of his son. The blood of his son. We remember what Jesus has done for us. So I want to invite you to stand with me. worship team's going to lead us. We're going to partake in just a second. I know this is a this is a little bit different, a little bit maybe even uncomfortable. But I want to invite any of you who have a desire to be that sacrifice that I talked about last week. I just want to open this altar up for a moment of worship for a moment where we can recognize the positive outcome and acknowledge the fact that we're not responsible for that outcome, but he alone is. And as they lead us, I want you to come. And then when we're all, when, when, when it's that moment where we're done with that song, I'm just gonna pray and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. But I just wanna invite you to worship together and I want to invite you to come if you feel so led to stand and worship him. Hannah, would you lead us? Father, as we stand here and as we hold these elements in our hands, we're reminded that the word of God tells us that after supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And after he did he gave thanks father even jesus had a a disposition of gratitude toward the father in that moment knowing that his death would be coming very quickly and today father we want to be people that worship you with a heart of gratitude and so we say thank you for the body of jesus which was given for us 
Thank you for the body that endured the torture. Thank you that Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us. In no greater way could he meet our needs than to offer himself as that sacrifice. We thank you for his body. Let's partake of the bread together. The scripture says that after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to them and he said, this is my covenant. It's a blood covenant. And I want you to to drink this cup and that in doing so, you're going to continue to show forth the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Father, we stand here today with gratitude that Jesus shed his blood for us. And God, there's no, there's no rule of the church. There's, no, there's nothing that can force us to worship. There's nothing that can force us to bow and submit. But it's a heart of gratitude that Jesus gave his blood, shed his blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Father, we want to simply say we're thankful. We're grateful for the work that Jesus did on our behalf on the cross. Because we have no way of ridding ourselves of our sin. So Father, it is with a grateful heart that we say thank you God let's partake of the cup together Father I pray today that you would prick our hearts that you would convict us God when we want our worship to be something that we have to feel like doing And instead, that we would understand that it flows out of a heart of gratitude. And without gratitude, we will not worship you. Father, we recognize, we recognize, God, what you have done for us. And we recognize that you are the source. So, Father, we say thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to thank you for being here today and thank you for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit today. God bless you. Let's go and let's worship him. Amen.